Hello, everyone. There we go. My name is Luke Thomas. This is the Monday Morning Analyst for, um, gee, what day is it today? It is July. It is July 20th already. God, the summer is going away so fast. Um, here in the year of our Lord, 2015. That's someone actually write me about that, saying that. Um, today on the podcast, we'll talk about UFC, the technical action, of course, from UFC Fight Nights 71-72. I don't think we're going to get to Bellator 140, just in the interest of, you know, last week's uh, Monday Morning Analyst was the biggest one ever, so thank you guys for watching and sharing. I appreciate that. Um, I think we got like 50,000 views on YouTube and like another 20,000 from podcasting, so... Um, a big one. So thank you very much for for looking into that and, and watching it and sharing it. As you know, this podcast has three parts. Part one, the big overview. Part two, a review of some of the technical action. And then part three, a very brief and quick look ahead. Um, okay. So with that being what it is, uh, we'll get into the part one, which is the big overview. And it's interesting to me um, watching this. We've always talked about you know what's happened with Mir and the heavyweights. Uh, we've talked about, you know, why diversity is important, which I think the Tony Ferguson fight with Josh Thompson um, sort of illustrates. But um, there wasn't, I, I think from watching the past couple of fights, there wasn't a major takeaway that I had except, um, you know, just it's, it's amazing. As much as the paradigm shift of MMA is happening, where one generation of talent is almost genuinely and fully supplanting the next. Um, there's still some holdovers like your, your heavyweights, but it was just sort of really interesting to me to see Michael Bisping um, on the stage. And I think Stephen Morocco had talked about him being an elder statesman. Um, so my sort of my big overview is just sort of, I don't know, is a sort of weird observation about the state of the game that the guys who are hanging on, there's very few of them left. Um, in the case of Michael Bisping, it was sort of really the contrast between him and Stephen Ray and Jordan Calderwood and uh, Patty Houlihan and stuff like that. It was just, just just this clear like generation gap. He's still very relevant, of course, but um, no. So there's no there's no real review of technically what things went right. Certainly, the guys across the pond have gotten better, um, but there wasn't like sometimes when I watch these fights over the course of a the week, there's like this there's just a thematic continuity between them and there wasn't this time there were moments in each individual fight that told a story but I guess for me the only real major big picture thing I had was just the contrast we're beginning to see where whereas everyone was part of one class we're now seeing one class eat up the next and there are some notable holdovers in different weight classes but the takeover is sort of really complete the McGregor era in that sense by the time he's gone the ones from the previous generation the one that we're more accustomed to, it'll be totally gone. So fortunately there's no real technical thing I can point to um, from this past week, but, but there was a, a real generational feel to it that I thought was worth mentioning. Okay. On to the technical action as we can get to it right away. Uh, let's see. So there were three events. Friday had Bellator 140. Um, I'm not, I don't I'm not really spending a whole lot of time on that. I would like to start with the top three fights from, um, from UFC 170, UFC Fight Night 71. Uh, let me pull up the results here if I can for just a second. Uh, UFC Fight Night 71. This was Mir versus Duffy. This took place at the Valley View Casino Center in San Diego, California. Had an attendance of 5,471. It's pretty low. With a gate of 412,000. Um, and if you saw the payouts, they 
you know, I hope they made some money on that one because they're probably pretty close, um, depending on how things go with the rights fees on television. Anyway, um, your performance of the night, bonus winners were Alan Juban versus Matt Dwyer, which was a very good fight, but I just don't feel like getting into it. Performance of the night was Frank Mir and then Tony Ferguson. So we'll start at the top of the card and work backwards. Um, Frank Mir taking on Todd Duffy. He won via KO punch at 113 of the first round. This was a crazy, crazy brawl, a totally crazy brawl. Um, lots to say about it. it you know, I, I didn't think Mir's weight look op- looked optimal. It didn't really matter in the end. Um, but he didn't look awesome physically. It was really out of breath when it was over, which is partly to be expected because it was a wild brawl. But what can you say about it? The two closed the distance on each other immediately. You know, it was interesting to me that Duffy was changing stances a lot. I don't really know that that worked to his benefit. We'll go over it in the Ferguson fight, but Ferguson was able to go. Oh, oops, I was supposed to start this like 30 minutes ago. Hang on. So you got to just come unprepared, y'all. That's how it always works. Let's put that down to 25 minutes, 24. Here we go. Okay. So you saw Ferguson switch dances a lot, which I'll get to in just a second, but you saw Duffy do it. I'm really not sure what the benefit of it was. Um, standing orthodox, he was getting lit up with the left. So you saw him kind of switching to uh, match Frank Mir's southpaw stance, and that worked a little bit on a couple of combos. But anyway, the two clashed back and forth on all different kinds of arrangements. But here's basically how it ended at 113. Duffy lands a combination where the right hand lands at the end of the combination, but it starts with both hands. And then you see what happens is Frank Mir kind of roll, trunk rolls to the right and then trunk rolls to the left, showing him his right shoulder, basically. But what's weird is that Duffy, now in a southpaw stance, keeps trying to find a right for the home for the for the right, just find a home for the right hand like several times. And, and like inches his way forward, like kind of pause for it this way forward. Really kind of a weird way. So you see Mir roll to the right, then roll to the left, stay here. And then as you can just see Duffy coming in a straight line with the same punch, no setup, wide open, like not retracting the right. I mean, Frank Mir was cracking with the left at throughout the fight, including the very first exchange. I think the first big punch landed was left. Anyway, so Mir steps back at an angle. Here comes the right hand of Duffy. He actually swats it with his own left. Not his right. He swats it with his left, and as Duffy keeps moving forward, crunches him. And the best part about it is you can actually watch the, the left hand land. It hits Duffy in the chin, and Duffy is so compact in that space, his chin doesn't whip that far. It actually runs into his shoulder. So it stops right here, so his body just took it, which I think impacted it. Because he had taken several of those lefts before, but this one, if your shoulder is head, like, Whip, this is not a fun and awesome motion to have, but at least you're giving the force somewhere to go. We talked about it before with ground and pound. You you, you want to have your head off the the ground for several reasons because your guard should be kind of like a crunch. But but more than that, you need your you need you need space for your head to recoil. And his head, Duffy's head, tried to turn and got stopped into the shoulder of his own shoulder, uh, and he was walking into the punch. So it was crazy. Maybe just takes. It was actually one, two steps back, cuts the angle, and then drives the left. Um, but it was, you know, I mean, it was textbook. But you just see Duffy, like, in a straight line, one punch, no defense, pawing for it as he walked in. Like, Mir just timed him. It was not a whole lot to it. Uh, strong win by him. You know, Mir, Mir took a couple of shots, too. Uh, took a couple of hard right hands, uh, which is why I think Duffy was sort of looking for that right hand over and over again. But crazy how that happened. Uh, okay. 
in the co-main event of that card, Tony Ferguson defeated Josh Thompson via unanimous decision, two thirty twenty sevens, and then one thirty twenty sixth. I haven't seen the scorecards. So I don't know which one he got that on, but that's more than fair. He also got a performance bonus for not finishing a guy. Well, he didn't get it for not finishing a guy, but he got it while not finishing a guy, which is very hard to do. Um, a lot to like about Tony Ferguson in this fight. A true and total diversity of strikes. We're talking about a guy who can change stances effortlessly, effortlessly, over and over and over again. Partly to show different looks to Thompson. Partly to get Thompson to circle different ways to then throw different strikes to catch him. There was a lot going on there. I won't get to all of it, obviously. We won't have time for that in the podcast, but just something to know, a tremendous, tremendous performance by um, Tony Ferguson. So in round one, a couple things that I noticed. You see on one time, Thompson tries to go for uh, a takedown, and we talked about it last week, the Barzagar finish, where instead of just blasting double (coughs) straight through, you cut an angle. And that's exactly what Thompson does. (coughs) But rather... Then letting Thompson have it, because Thompson comes in and lifts the leg, rather than letting Thompson have it, he just turned his body and then rolled with it. So you're rolling with the dump that they're trying to secure. Uh, I think it does this like at first I thought it was a Granby roll, which is across the shoulders, but it wasn't. It was just a front roll, just straight over, head over, ass over tea kettle, um, which was kind of funny. So a neat little trick there that Ferguson does. He loves those rolls, but that one was really well-timed. You can see once he realizes, I, I can't defend this anymore, I'm just going to roll with the Barzagar finish, goes over with it. Interesting. Um, Ferguson's guard was also something that I want to point out. Like c- Contrast his guard with McGregor's guard because they weren't totally dissimilar. right? I would say that Ferguson's guard was active, but it was also really defensively responsible too. You know, always trying to work overhooks, always trying to work on head control, but then mixing in offense, mixing in the feet, getting in the hip, and using that to create scrambles um, or better guard positions. So that should be noted as well. Like it's one thing just to hold on to an overhook, a head control, and then and then guard, but you got to do something with it if you really want credit for having a good guard. You know, I like to point out that like the defensive responsibility, the ways in which he was defensively responsible while also mixing in just enough offense to keep someone off their toes. Because if you're just defending, someone's going to keep attacking. But if you're attacking, you're cutting off avenues of opportunities and ways they may balance their weight, ways in which they may think to pass you. Oh, I can't motion pass. I might have to smash pass. Take away the smash pass. They might go back to motion passing. So there's all kinds of things you have to do to really set them back a little bit. And he was kind of doing it. You know, feed them the hips. That doesn't work. Let's go for an armbar. That doesn't work. Let's go for a triangle. That doesn't work. Let's just get him back and figure it out. You know, a pretty good job he did there. So he was working like a modified knee shield, almost like an armbar without an arm. So a knee shield was, I might have, I'm going to lay on this side. I'm going to have control of the bicep here, maybe hand in the shoulder, maybe a forearm in the shoulder. I'm going to have feet on the hips, probably depending on how you like your knee shield, but I'm locking your hips one way or the other with the, with the, with this one elbow and knee closest, I'm going to have it in your hip, and I'm going to have my shin in your other hip, kind of laying on the side. So it's it, I, I'm, not, I'm not controlling you exactly, but I'm not. I, I have a I have a barrier to inside space. Remember we talked about it. If you pass someone, it doesn't really count. So you open up the arm. If you if you um, uh, if you want to wrestle someone, you want to get those double underhooks. Inside control, inside spacing, controlling the inside of a person is important everywhere in all forms of martial arts, striking, wrestling, jiu-jitsu, every one of them. Just realize that inside control and angles are so crazy important in, in MMA and in fighting. You, you realize it translates different ways, but it translates across all the different martial arts. That's where you really all the strength comes from. It's biomechanics, you know. Uh, so he has a modified knee shield, almost working an armbar with no arm. So he actually had like this hip block, but instead of this shit in front of his 
his leg. He had it sort of the back around the back of the head, like he was going for an arm bar, but there was no arm there. Um, but just a small thing he did that I want to point out. He realized he wasn't going to be able to, to get like a leg lock here or whatever the case. So he wanted to go back to facing him rather than just being in this compromised position. Let's go of the leg, puts it back on the, sh- on the, on the shoulder or, you know, on the hip. But he's still kind of uh, 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 tilted to a side. You, you know, if you, don't, if you don't want to stay there, you need to move. And just one quick thing he does, it's very small, it's very basic, it's not a big deal, but I just liked small little details like this in someone's game. He grabs the left wrist, drives his – he grabs Thompson's left wrist with his right hand, then drives his own right shin on the bicep of the left arm of Thompson and uses that to right the ship. It's, it's not hugely critical detail, but the speed and precision with which he did it, realizing if you wait another second, you might get passed. We don't want to put ourselves in the spot. Let's go ahead and write – and square up on someone. Um, I really enjoyed how he did that. Not not a big deal, but just small little guard details like that. Good timing like that will make a big difference over the course of a long MMA fight. And then lastly, I thought he had a really good defensive guard, feeling the hips, shin to shoulder, uh, head and wrist control the whole time, like I talked about before. In round two, um, this was the coolest one, the coolest thing I saw, and really what really kicked off the fight um, to begin with. So you see Thompson going back and forth and back and forth. Did a mostly good job cutting off the cage, but there were moments where Thompson was able to get out. But there was one moment where he had him back behind the two black lines, which we talked about before, and he's faking a level change or like he's going to go to the body. He's basically just lowering his level with feints. And you see Thompson one time put his hands, both his hands all the way out. And then Thompson withdraws. Tony Ferguson keeps him in front of him, and then they circle to Ferguson's left. Ferguson doesn't change um, stances here, keeps the stance the same, but he goes to the same feint again. What does Thompson do? Thompson sticks his hands out. When he sticks his hands out, what does Ferguson do? Ferguson grabs his wrists and then comes over with the elbow. You see that in guard all the time. If, if I'm, in, if I'm in, in an MMA fight and I have my guard on someone, I'm going to grab wrist control. You can see you know, Chad Mendes used to do it against Conor McGregor. They grab your own wrist. And then you use that to pop them over the top. So it works both ways. You can grab a wrist. You can get your wrist grabbed. Either way, you can pop them with the elbow. But that's what he does. It was brilliant, brilliant by Tony Ferguson. He must have caught that in training somewhere and then decided to bring it out. And he's got that long reach. So there's so many different weapons that are available to him. Again, feints, hands come out. Light goes off. Does it again. Feints, hands come out, grabs the wrists, and then pops them with the elbow. That was, I mean... A-plus elite-level fighting right there from Tony Ferguson. Really good job. Um, credit to Herb Dean. He catches one time Ferguson trying to write a position in the scramble by, by using the fence. Makes them both stand up. I appreciate that from Herb Dean. Um, so there was one triangle that Ferguson was trying to finish, and he, and he couldn't really do it. There's a couple of, of reasons why. Thompson's arm wasn't across the body. Um, it doesn't have to be to finish a triangle. We'll talk about that when we get to Joe Duffy, but it's kind of important that you do that. Um, it helps, you know, because it, it assists in the choking mechanism, right? I mean, look how much more you can, your voice can almost change if you pull it f- far enough over. He didn't. He kind of keeps it here. Now, you can get armbar doing that. But if you really look at the triangle, you know, I, we talked about this before, you can finish a triangle straight on someone, but it's much better if you lock it up and then you cut an angle on them. Um, again, we'll talk about this when we get to Joe Duffy because his triangle was magnifique. Um, but he doesn't really do that. And if you look at the back of the triangle, you got to have your calf over the back of their neck, man. Because partly a triangle is that you're closing the space. The other part is that it should it should be a posture control. It should hurt. 
it should be you should be getting crunched. Um, so the space is not just constricting, but it's getting bent. And if it's just over the back of your shoulders, doesn't quite get the job done. You want that joker on. You want that. You want the leg hammering down on the back of the neck. So he just didn't quite have the right angle there. I mean, it was a nice attempt, and he got he has long legs, and he was shooting them up trying to trying to get it, but just wasn't exactly there. So why didn't the Kimura work when he tried for that? Because that's one that I like a lot. I've actually, unfortunately, I've never, I've only injured someone. I've only injured two people ever rolling. Both times was the same submission. Uh, and more of them from half guard and, and full guard. Yes, right. Same thing. It was the same, but the same side Kimura. It's always their left arm I always catch because um, of the way I play half guard. But um I don't brag about it. It's not a thing I'm happy about, but it's it's just something that it's one of the stronger positions I have. Um, you know, being a bigger guy playing guard, if you can lock up a Kimura on someone, man, you can you can do a lot of damage to him. So how, why doesn't it work? Well, he starts it out with close guard, locks it up, opens it to get the torque that he needs. And uh, so he's playing open guard, trying to create an angle to really get the arm over because you can see Thompson trying to get the bend in the elbow just the right way to keep himself safe. And he gets does a pretty good job of it. But what happens is he rolls him over. So one of the things you get with the Kimura is like the Kimura sweep. If you can't catch him getting – because sometimes you can get him bent over and you can get the elbow and the wrist behind their head so quickly that they have no choice but to tap. Sometimes you can't. And if you open your guard, you give them a chance to roll over. And maybe you want them to roll over because you feel a better chance about finishing rather than here than pushing down to the ground. It depends on what your preferences are. Um, but what happens is once you see them roll, you'll notice that – he didn't end up like on in Thompson's half guard. He ended up kind of already passed, but one of the legs wasn't where it was supposed to be. Only one of the legs was where it was supposed to be. He had one leg that was over the, the, the chest of uh, Thompson. The other one Thompson had caught and was pushing off of him. So he was kind of far up on Thompson. So what does he try to do? He tries to go for the straight arm bar. And Thompson and, and I thought Ferguson did a good recovery, tries to use his whole body to collapse onto the arm of Josh Thompson, because think about it, like maybe strength for strength, maybe Ferguson's stronger, maybe he's not, but is my whole body, is my upper body stronger than your arm? Well, definitely. So let me cover the whole thing. You see small guys do that to big guys with different moves. Like if if I'm 300 pounds and you're 150 pounds, I have a huge weight advantage, but if you're 150, still going to be stronger than my arm. So you put your whole body on it and see what that can do. So you see him do that. Still can't quite get it because Thompson's just doing a really good job squirming. But what you notice he does is Thompson, excuse me, Ferguson then recovers the original position. So uh, this time passed, but still he slides back into side control because before he was kind of over the body of Thompson, a little bit far past, loses the submission and then just sort of slides backwards into side control. That was a nice recovery from Tony Ferguson. Understanding for a guy who likes to take risks and you know have it be like a high wire act kind of fight, getting back to some basics, some fundamental positions, a dominant position like that in a scramble where like you tried a submission, it didn't work. You rolled him over, you got the sweep, you tried it for another submission, it didn't work. Let's recover the position. Let's keep that in our back pocket. Let's make sure we're the ones controlling the situation and then we can go to work with other things, which is exactly what he did. Brilliant, brilliant job. So Kimura, Opened the guard, set the angle, rolled him. But as the pro- in the process of rolling, Thompson caught a foot, pushed it across to create space, which moved Ferguson up in the roll. Ferguson tries to adjust, go to the straight arm bar, loses that, then slides back over the body into half into, into side control. Nice. Um, and then in round three, there was a brilliant knee to the gut. It looked like 
it looked like Thompson was trying to time a takedown, and he instead ate a kick to the body followed by a quick elbow from Tom, from uh, Ferguson. But nevertheless, uh, really good job from Ferguson. But just one thing really we'll talk about from take away from Ferguson's work here was just the diversity of strikes, constantly going from front leg oblique to front leg body kick, rear leg body kick, switching sides, throwing hooks, throwing then switching sides again, throwing check hooks. Just a phenomenal, phenomenal job mixing everything up. Um, you know, then we mentioned grabbing the wrist and come over the top with the elbows. And I really have been impressed with, and of course there was a moment where he had the Dars locked up uh, after he kicks him in the gut, uh, lets it go. Cause it didn't quite exactly for Dars. You kind of want to be, if you have a Dars and you're kind of like hips down, hips down, like both your hips face the mat, probably not going to work. One person has to have a, a, a change in angle there, but, um, Nevertheless, just just I mean attacks from everywhere by Tony Ferguson, really good job. And then quickly we have the uh, the home Renault fight, which went three rounds. I'm not going to go round by round on this one, but there's a couple things I want to point to that I know folks didn't have like the best time watching this fight, but there was a lot that I liked about it. Number one, you know you can say what you want, but Holmes' use of distance was phenomenal this time. She relies heavily on her kicks, not so much her punches. You know, can she do that against Ronda Rousey? I don't know. She's going to have to because it seems so integral to her ability to fight that way that I don't know that she can keep people off with hands. I don't know that people have been successful in keeping Rousey off of them with just their hands. But then again, going to the kick, someone catches it, especially all these like front leg body kicks and 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 jumping side kicks um, to the body. You know, I don't know. I don't know what they're gonna, how it's going to work. But it's 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 pretty amazing. Another thing, um, Holmes' footwork. She was creating a lot of angles to the left and to the right. Renault was kind of following her in that regard, but it was just interesting that, like, why was Renault frozen in space for so often? It was because because even if she made a move one way home, she could sometimes stay there, or she could come back the other way, create a lane for the left hand, and then pop it. So there was just a lot of confusion on the part of Renault about how to deal with all the angles. Uh, there was one moment where Renault tried an inside kick. So Renault tries to go right leg across the body, to catch home on her inside leg and does, or her lead leg, I should say, and does. And then you see Renault's right hand try to come out. It looks for a punch, but realizes she can't get it and then wants to grab the neck. But you see home the whole time. She sees Renault stepping in. She steps at an angle, almost, almost 45 degrees, keeps her left up. So the right comes around and just gets blocked and, and, and Renault can't do anything. So like, one of the things that's kind of amazing about home is not just her distance management, but like she dominates in the clinch. Even if, first of all, you have trouble setting up the clinch. Even if you get in the clinch, her pummeling there, her feet moving in the clinch, her angles in the clinch, constantly uh, breaking ties, getting space where she needs to, creating frames to get away, um, and never let you settle into position is like A plus stuff from Holly Holm. Um, I really liked how she was, she saw it coming, felt the kick, took it rotated out, kept the hand up, and Renault could just do nothing but get blocked. It was it was phenomenal how she did that. Um, let's see. She allowed space for... Uh, oh, there was one moment where she caught Renault with the old Glabe Feitosa Brazilian kick special. You know, uh, she had been going to the body, going to the body, going to the body, going to the body with all different measures of kicks. And you see she goes like she's going to the body. She motions it like it. Renault comes down to block because she doesn't want to get to the body anymore. And then Holmes switches it up over the top, like a Brazilian kick or question mark kick, whatever you want to call. And it doesn't land full, but it scratches her face enough to get her to blank and, and for home to, to follow up on her. So that was nice as well. Um, it's amazing. You go back and watch, you go watch Renault's feints. Home doesn't bite on any of them, but then home would faint and Renault would drop her hands or step back or 
whatever she had to. So it was just amazing how well one person's fans were working and one, and one wasn't. Um, a lot of attacks in the lead leg from home. Uh, a lot of oblique kicks, a lot of front leg side kicks. Again, I mentioned it before. Um, a lot of a lot of good jobs steering Renault into her power hand. I thought that was pretty good as well. Just a strong performance from Holly Holm. I know it wasn't necessarily the most exciting thing in the world. I wouldn't present it to you like it was, but um, just one worthy of commendation. You know, I think that's the least you can say. All right, so let's go into the other UFC card of the week. It was UFC Fight Night seventy two, which was Bisping versus Lightes. This is for, this took place at the SSE Hydro in Glasgow, Scotland, for an attendance of ten thousand four hundred fifty one for a gate of one point five million. So that's a much stronger gate. Um, you can see that when they go to places for the first time. They have strong responses there. Your fight of the night was Joanne Calderwood versus Courtney Casey. And your performances of the night were uh, Joseph Duffy and Stephen Ray. By the way, there were other results from the other UFC card. but uh, Oh, by the way, Kevin Lee had a good, really good uh, choke on James Muntasri. The Alan Juban versus Dwyer fight was good. Um, obviously, Lyman Good stopping Andrew Craig. Lyman Good looked well, – if you didn't see him on the, on, the, on the fight pass prelims, Lyman Good looked really good um, with his boxing, I thought. He, his physique is just ridiculous. So uh, good to see more of him, but the rest of the fights are you know, relatively unspectacular. Uh, okay. Then we go to UFC Fight Night 72, Bisping versus Lightes. In the main event, Michael Bisping defeated Talos Lightes via split decision, 47-48, 49-46, 48-47. I had a 49-46. Not really going to go into detail about this one. There's not a whole lot to talk about other than, you know, as a typical Michael Bisping. You know, had good combinations going side to side. You know, would punch with the right, come back with the left, or actually, I should say, start with the left, punch with the right, and then switch and come back with the kick on the opposite side. Uh, mostly missed, but landed a couple of times. Talos just trying to brawl the boxer, you know, that kind of that kind of rule. Having some success in the third round, but not a whole lot otherwise. I thought by the fifth round, that was probably one of the better ones for Michael Bisping. Um, great footwork. I know some people were saying that he ran. It's like, if, and I mentioned this on on for another place, but like, if you think that's running, I don't know. Really. The act of evading someone's uh, offense is a skill. It's a very difficult skill to get good at. Michael Bisping, obviously it's not impossible to, it's impossible to avoid everything, but if you don't know what you're doing, you will get cornered, not just get cornered. You will get cornered in a way that feels like escaping is impossible. So not only will they stop your movement or restrict it altogether, they'll put you in a place where they can hit you better than you can hit them. It's a horrible place to be. If you don't think what what Michael Michael Bisping is doing is a skill, I don't know what to tell you. Go, like, you can't go up against a random NFL football player because they're not accessible. But you can go down to a gym, and maybe that's not NFL level, but it doesn't need to be. You can go down to a random boxing gym, a random Muay Thai gym, and just see what happens. Challenge them to outright stop you from... Challenge them to corner you and see what it's like. You will get snatched up with a quickness that you had not expected. I'm telling you, it's a real bad place to be. So so for Bisping to be able to do the kind of lateral movement he's doing, punch, roll under a punch, come out the other side, um, is, is rather impressive. But I don't feel like we learned a whole lot new from either guy. Uh, Evan Dunham got back to his wrestling game against Ross Pearson. Be a unanimous decision, 30-27 across the board, except for one, I guess there was a 29-28. A lot of wrestling setups from here, but none that, again, were particularly uh, I want to spotlight. What I do want to spotlight, Joseph Duffy taking on Ivan George. Uh, triangle choke. Okay, so uh, Joe Duffy is, is a serious, serious talent, man. 
it's amazing. Like everyone talks about, is Conor McGregor real? Is he not real? You know, I don't want to have that debate over again, but I can assure you, I don't know what you make of that debate. There's no debate about Joseph Duffy. Now, how good he is, I don't know. We're going to find out. But so far, uh, my man is real good. Real good. Very, very impressed with this guy. Um, had a sort of like the James Tony Philly shell when he was boxing against George. Lead hand way down. Shoulder kind of crept up here. Showing a little bit of the back just to, you know, to protect the angle there from the straight shot. Um, maybe to protect his hips a little bit too because he thought George might want to shoot being the jiu-jitsu black belt. He would ultimately be right to an extent. But, you know, pretty crisp boxing. Great job at turning angles. There's a lot of times where he was trying to get bulldozed or backed up, and he would find a way to take a step back and turn, duck under a punch and turn, always trying to bring the fight back to the center or be the one stalking. There's a lot of that going on. But there was um, – the, let's just go through some of the things that happened in this fight that I thought were pretty amazing. Um, Duffy sees George ducking just a bit. He comes in, and he's not just ducking this way. If you watch George, he ducks this way. He ducks just like that. He got just a few minutes left. He ducks this way a lot. Duck, duck, duck. So what does Duffy do? He times a switch knee. It looks like it's coming up the middle and just cracks him on the other side. Bing, and hits him pretty hard. That was pretty nice. Uh, he landed another one later without the switch, but for the same exact reason. The guy just had a rhythm like this. He would come and he would duck. He would come and he would duck. And he might paw with the jab, then he would duck. Not just, not just straight off center, but off center to the same side. So uh, Duffy just timed him and cracked him. That was nice. Um, there is a time that Duffy overcommits on a punch, and then George gets double underhooks, right? Talk about that inside control. Gets him against the fence. Well, here's what George tries to do. George tried he, – he didn't do it well because Duffy's kind of not elevated enough. He didn't quite get his hips up under him. You have to really kind of when – you, when you get double underhooks, you don't want it in the center of their chest. You want it – either behind their neck, depending on the kind of throw, or really high underneath the shoulders. I don't like that one because I'm just not very good at it. I like the one, the other one. You suck their hips on from like their lower back onto yours, gable grip, and then you pull them up, right, real hard, and then you can do what you want with them. You can pick them up and turn or whatever you want to do. You can dump them. He doesn't quite do that. His hands are kind of still in the middle. And that, you may feel like I can pull more here, but that doesn't work for the mechanics of lifting another person. So – so he doesn't get a great lift on him. Kind of lifts him and tries to turn him this way. Okay. Doesn't quite work. Whenever you are thinking about takedowns, I think I mentioned a few fights ago. Whenever you were thinking about takedowns, think about this. I, in an ideal world, if someone tries to take you down or, or whenever you fall to the mat, always try to fall with your hips facing the mat. Because if I fall to my side, well, now I have to scramble. If I fall to my back, I mean, that's a terrible place to be, right? But if I fall with my hips facing the mat, I can get my feet under me. I can get my hands under me, right? Hips facing the mat. If you think about a sprawl, now a sprawl, you might actually turn your hips at the very end, but your hips are, uh, start, at least they're going to start off facing the mat and then turn uh, to, to beat the angle, right? Because you don't want to bring your hips just straight down. You want to bring your hips down at kind of at an angle a little bit. But the point being is what you see on the botched throw from George what you see Duffy do is he gets his hips down. Now, he still gets thrown a little bit because it's impossible to not get thrown, but it's pretty amazing. So Duffy gets lifted and turned, okay? Not much, but just enough where, um, he, you know, he goes down a little bit. But he does just enough blocking by getting his hips to face the mat and just enough of getting himself thrown to give himself a submission opportunity. So he got like this nice middle ground where he did what he was supposed to but let the position go just a touch 
so he could get what he wanted out of it. Hold on just a second. Okay. Okay, so here's what Duffy does. And this to me was like, you know, if you need evidence that someone has a good guard, right here, Joseph Duffy has a very good guard. Okay? A very good guard. So, he goes down. If if George is facing this way, Duffy is facing this way. But he gets hips down. And then he kind of climbs over. What happens is, when he gets thrown from the double underhooks, he kind of gets just enough space to escape but and get his hips flat to the mat, but he still has control of the left arm of George. He has it similar to how Rousey had Zingano's arm. I think that was her right arm in that case, but a similar kind of situation. So what is if, if George can get his arm back, he can stand and move away, but his, his arm is now trapped. So what happens is Duffy creates a frame. We talked about the frames from McGregor before. Creates a frame so that George can't retract the arm. And then snakes his other two arm or arms, his other two legs, one behind the neck and one in front, of course, to create the triangle. When he rolls, he brings George on top of him for the triangle. Okay. George does what uh, we saw in the other triangle against Thompson and Ferguson. He keeps his arm here. He doesn't get it across, which again, you can see. That can choke you. He keeps it here. That's a risk because you can get it broken, which we'll get to in just a minute, but it doesn't work. Okay, Duffy does a couple of things I want to point to here that to me was like, okay, you know he has a good guard. Number one, he underhooks this side next to him. If I'm Duffy, he underhooks this side while cutting the angle. So now I'm cutting the angle and I'm going to underhook here. What does that do? Number one, cinches the choke, right, because you're now doing that. And also, this is an emergency break. If I underhook here and someone tries to stand, they're not gonna they're not gonna go anywhere. It's again, it's uh this is this is like preventing you from getting lifted. So so now the choke is tighter, and now uh, and now he's got the right angle for it to not get. Or he's got the proper I should, I should say the proper brakes and not get lifted and you know dropped. Right, so, so George is stuck. The second thing he does is, which I really appreciate. Number one, the, the the choke goes over the back of the neck. Okay, here's a little detail that um, that is is fun. If you go back and you watch Duffy's feet, if you have a triangle on someone and you're pointing your feet like this, like if you're if you have a triangle and and think about it, like like imagine you were standing on your tippy toes. A lot of people do that, you know, just a natural instinct. They lock up the triangle and they they kind of point their feet as a kind of strain to get someone to go. That actually doesn't work because when you point your feet like that, um, it's not it's not as hard as it should be. It's actually when you make your feet go up, when you pull your feet, when you bring your toes to your shins, that actually hardens the choke on both feet. On both feet. Uh, he does it. He does it, right? That is a small detail that will tap people that you would think, oh, that's not a big deal. Oh, yes, it is. That can make the difference between tapping somebody good and not, right? So you have the proper angle. I'm not going to get thrown. And now I'm going to do just enough with my feet to cinch it even tighter. That still doesn't finish George because George is very good at jujitsu. So then what does he do? You see him keep his feet in position, doesn't let go of this, takes this hand and puts it on George's wrist and basically looks like he drives it backward, um, you know, basically threatening the break. So that's when well, that's when George taps. Now maybe the choke was a part of it too because he's really sealing it. But I just want to point out that like, these are the details when I talk about someone's guard 
you know, and I'm sure I missed something. I'm sure there's other details he could point to me that I don't even know about. But when we talk about someone having a good guard, you know, I know a bunch of McGregor's fans were all over me for saying I didn't think much of his guard. Okay, I think very highly of Joseph Duffy's guard, and those are the reasons why. Number one, his his reactions are immediate. That choke was sealed before he ever rolled over his shoulders. It was sealed. Now, there were other tightening mechanisms he did once he got him squared up, but, I mean, George didn't even get a, a chance to recover his position, and he was already in trouble, number one. Then Duffy does everything he's supposed to do the whole time by not getting thrown, cutting the angle, and then adjusting his calves and all the hand. Take your foot now and then point it straight and then bring it back, and you'll feel all the hamstrings, all the ligaments behind your leg, that muscle behind your shin, your your calf. You'll feel everything kind of get hard and occupy space. Doesn't just get hard; it actually takes up more space. You do it, and if you do it with both your legs, you're 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 adding to that crunch. So, so to me, you know, which is just really really impressive, tiny details that make a huge difference. So, for all the Irish people who think I discriminate against Conor McGregor, I don't. I think very highly of him. But if we're comparing guards, it is not a comparison. Joseph Duffy's guard is very very good, very good, and those little details tell you that it is. Uh, lastly, then there was uh, Stephen Ray versus Mafra. Basically, Mafra was just sort of throwing shots and not retracting them properly. Stephen Ray standing southpaw, times a right over the top, cracks him, and then in a flurry, eventually puts him away. But um, so good job there. Just some other details from that card. Oh, I think there was the uh, real quickly. There was the Calderwood Sanchez fight. Let me get to that real quick to read the results, and then we'll get out of here because I know I've gone way too long already. Um, Evan Dunham. Excuse me, Joseph Duffy subbed Ivan George at 305 in the first round. And then Calderwood beat Casey at 3027, 29, 28, 327. A couple of things that went right for Calderwood here, real quickly. They did a lot of 50 50 work in that one position. Um, what you see is the right hand of Calderwood. She takes the foot, brings it over, right? And then uh, underhooks Casey. Casey makes the mistake of wrapping the head doesn't work because why is that not going to work well if i take your foot and i bring it across your other foot's basically already there it's in a modified position but now i bring your i bring your foot across my body but across your body too um in this particular case then i'm going to underhook you now i can get right into leg drag what is leg drag leg drag is when i essentially um i am i am still between your legs to some capacity it's like a half guard but i roll your waist one way and i roll your shoulders the other way and then from there, if they try to straighten, you just move right into side control. Leg drag is something like the Meow Brothers like, right? The Meow Brothers who just ran over people at the New York Open. What do they do? They bear and bullets, take the back. If they can't take the back, they come up and leg drag all the time. One of my knees between your legs. I got your hips going one way. I got your shoulders going the other. That's exactly what she did. She got her hips going one way. I'm going to underhook and use my shoulder for pressure on the other side. Full-on leg drag by uh, Joanne Calderwood. A-plus stuff. Uh, in the second round, she had uh, Calderwood had a couple nice elbows in the clinch. Um, she had um, two inside ties here, rotates to her right. So what does she do? She has two inside ties. She rotates to her right. Casey Sanchez brings one the near side leg up and puts it in the hip to block Calderwood, but that opens up this whole lane. So Calderwood doesn't just pull her down, pulls her down at a scooping angle, kicks out the post. She goes under. That was nice. I uh, want to give Casey Sanchez a little bit of credit 
for um, she she throws a left inside kick followed by a right hand. So yeah, so left inside kick, right hand, and then left hook, and that's what caused the initial um, you know moment where Colorado was in a little bit of trouble. And then last but not least, um, you know, in round three, you see you see Colorado throwing a lot of oblique kicks. Um, she liked to go to right straight to the body, left over the top. That was landing a lot. Um, and then she follows it with a spinning back kick to the mix, mix, mix section. There's not a whole lot to say there. She was, she had thrown it previously in the fight and had landed not to the same devastating effect, but basically she was just by round three, Casey Sanchez was just, you know, back against the fence, not moving at that point. If you feel like you have the right angle for something, you just throw it. She didn't really faint. She didn't really like do anything else except she just, you know, Casey Sanchez is here waiting for things. So I'm just going to give it to her basically. And she does. So good job by Joanne Calderwood. Some defensive issues early, but uh, overcame them in the end. Good, strong domination in the clinch, both positionally and, you know, just cracking elbows over the top. That was kind of nice, but um, I don't know, man, I don't know how you walk away from that weekend and not say to yourself, my God, Joseph Duffy is a, is a beast. Uh, Patty Houlihan defeated Vaughn Lee. This was a big-time grapp- grappling scramble back and forth. Uh, Patty Houlihan winning 30-27 on all three judges' scorecards. Ilir Latifi just knocked out Han Stringer. Um, let's see. Uh, Michael Laboot defeated Timu Pakalin. Pakalin, there was a couple of good guard moments for him as well. Robert Weifer defeated Paul Redman. Jimmy Rivera defeated Marcus Brimage in the first round. And then Daniel Omelinchuk defeated Chris De La Rocha or Hocha or uh, Roca, however you pronounce it. Okay. Um, to me... Fighter of the card, if I'm picking one, I'm going to pick Joseph Duffy. I was completely blown away by him. Every time this kid comes out, he comes out and just amazes me, man. Explosive strikes, good understanding of defense, recovery from all positions, attacking from all positions, um, good defensive work and wrestling by getting his hips you know, facing the mat. Just, just, just those tiny details on his triangle choke to me were just like, my man can fight. I don't know how good he is. We're going to find out. But if he's as good as I think he might be, look out, man. Look out. Because I I walked away from his last this fight and his other one being like, oh, boy. He needs a tougher challenge because my man is excellent. He is an excellent fighter. So let's give him somebody who can wrestle a little bit more, maybe get a bigger punch. But um, he's amazing. All right. So until next time. Uh, oh, and what's coming up before we go? Part three of the podcast, real quickly. UFC on Fox 16, Dillashaw versus Burrell. That's the main event. Then you got Misha Tate versus Jessica I. Winner might get Ronda Rousey if you think about it. Edson Barboza takes on Paul Felder. That's going to be a crazy striking fest. Joe Lazan versus Takanori Gomi. So that should be crazy as well. Shout out to Joe Lazan, who's an awesome guy. Uh, a couple of the fights you want to pay attention to on the card. Gian Vellante versus Tom Lawler. I didn't know Tom Lawler was still in the UFC, to be honest. Uh, Jim Miller, Danny Castillo should be good. Um... Wineland versus Caraway might be kind of fun. Jessamine Duke is back, but that I don't have all that much fun with that one. And then uh, Darren Cruikshank versus James Krause. And that will be, of course, on Big Fox on Saturday. Okay, so until next time, thank you for watching. I'm sorry this came out so late, but you know, you guys know how this works at this point. Um, until next time, enjoy the fights. <laughs>